Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where smile, you're on Candid Cam Reddisha. Oh. <laughs> I told you he was good. Uh, I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. And with Thanksgiving just a week away, Tommy, I ask you now, springing this on you at the moment, but who or what development through the first 12 games of the season have you been most thankful for? Uh, yeah, during this early part of the season. Um, do you want me to go first, or do you have your answer? You can go first. Okay, so for me, it's been D'Angelo Russell and his availability and relative consistency in terms of being a floor general on and off the court. Because through these first 12 games, we are 6-6. Six and six. We're recording this episode prior to the in-season tournament game against the Portland Trailblazers. But through the first 12 games, with Jared Vanderbilt having been out through the whole season, Gabe Vincent being out for much of the season, Anthony Davis, LeBron James each being out a game, Torian Prince being out a couple, Rui Hachimura being out a couple, the Lakers have desperately needed like a foundational constant on their team with all the in and outs revolving doors of injured players and the team trying to find their identity on the fly. And I feel like D'Angelo Russell has been a really good job in spite of the fact that, yeah, he may have had some inconsistent shooting games here and there, but in terms of one, just being available. And then two, just being a great playmaker. He has like a career high assisted turnover ratio this season, a career low 1.8 turnovers, career low turnover percentage. Just the fact that he has been able to help us stem the tide, and I didn't even mention Austin Reeves' struggles, the fact that he has been able to help Austin Reeves slowly come along and find his way in certain scenarios, that's what I've been most thankful for in this early part of the season. Just D'Angelo Russell and him being a foundational pillar for us that we can rely on offensively to cut off ball, hit threes, but most importantly, playmake for the whole team as the team has been trying to find their identity. And I feel like that's been so important. So, um, yeah, any thoughts on D'Angelo Russell? And what's your answer for what you've been most thankful for? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with D'Lo. He's he's been scoring. He's been uh, getting his assists career low in turnovers, almost four to one assist to turnover ratio. I mean, he's just like checking every box right now. Um so he's off to a really, really strong start for us. 
he's, you know, obviously, and I can't remember if you mentioned this right now, but we've talked about this in, in, in other contexts. Um, but, you know, he is driving to the rim a lot more. He's converting at mm-hmm. the rim a lot more. So he's he's diversified his game quite a bit. He's not just, you know, it, I think part of the thing of what makes Austin effective is he can do a bunch of things. He could shoot from the mid-range. He could take it to the rim. He could shoot at threes. So you kind of never knew what he was going to do with D'Lo historically i think you got the sense that he just wanted to pop jump shots um that's not the case anymore sometimes he wants to get into the lane to do a uh, shoot a floater sometimes he wants to take it all the way to the rim he's he's diversified his offensive arsenal quite a bit um and it's paid off and and i think for me the guy i'm thankful for is uh cam reddish with all the injuries this year you know like i thought for sure First of all, I was not high I, I, on this guy, right? Like I, I've been saying this since, um, since he's we all the Cam Reddish debate has kind of started, and and I've said like I don't, I wasn't really a huge fan of him at Duke. Um, I wasn't really a huge fan of his game, you know, for most of the beginning of his career. It just sort of seemed like following up on what happened to Duke. <laughs> um, and you know, here we are. It's just twelve games into the season, but he, you know, we're coming off of a string of like many consistent games in a row for him. He's shooting, you know, subject to one season with the Hawks, where he only played thirty-four games with them before he got traded, where he shot thirty-eight percent. He's shooting thirty-five percent from three, which would, other than that season, be a career high. Um, you know, he's one point six steals would be a career high. His activity on defense with with the injuries to Gabe Vincent and Vanderbilt, who are, are I shouldn't say probably, those guys are, other than Cam, our two best perimeter defenders, uh, even though Vando's bigger. Like, he's obviously more of a perimeter defender. So, you know, it, Cam just, to me, uh, when you're looking at our 14 guys on our roster, it was obviously the two rookies you knew they weren't going to play. But then when you're thinking about who else isn't going to play, you start looking at Cam um, you know, one of Cam or Max Christie, and most people thought Max would win that battle. But, you know, Cam kind of stepping in here um, and and playing, you know, really well, understanding his role, getting to the corners, understanding when he's going to get his looks and when to take them and, and being ready to convert them. I mean, it's just like you're kind of seeing him on the fly, like have these realizations. It's interesting because he's like money from the corner threes above mm-hmm. the break. He doesn't always hit them. So you, but you see him like recognizing that. I think part of the problem that happens with a lot of these guys, especially former lotto picks is they have a little success and then they get this like, Oh, see, I told you I'm good. Like mentality. And then they start like pushing it too far. And I think that the thing with cam is, Although he's had sustained success for several several games, pretty much every game he started this season, um, he's not. He's just continuing to hammer home those things that have given him success so far. He's not like, oh, now I'm hitting three, so now I'm going to be Paul George and I'm going to take everyone off the dribble. No, he's still defending, sprinting to the corner, and standing there waiting for LeBron to pass. And when LeBron fires him the pass, he's ready and he shoots it, mm-hmm. and it and it looks good. So you know, I, I I'm. Super thankful for him. He's the only thing making our defense like somewhat passable at this point. Yeah, so we're going to land on Cam Reddish now. I didn't expect to, but we are. And I think the the craziest thing about Cam Reddish is just the context behind Cam Reddish. And if you remember three preseason games into you know the start of this season, all the bitching and moaning about Cam Reddish. This guy is useless. He's worthless. He started off looking like a 
a deer in the headlights with his dribbling on the offensive end. He couldn't get anything to go. And to see how far we've come in just like a week and a half, and if you remember a week and a half ago, the Miami game, where his toe was on the line, he had the game-winning shot drawn up for him on the baseline. LeBron James passes it to him. He misses the shot. What has he done since then? Well, at one point, he was 2 of 16 from 3. Now, he is, in his last four games, 11 of 21 from 3. In six starts this season, he is averaging 12 points, 3 rebounds, 1 assist, 2.3 steals on 47% from the field, 44% from 3. His last four games since the starter switch, with Ham bringing Austin Reeves off the bench and having Cam Reddish replace him, Cam Reddish is averaging 15 points, 3 rebounds, 2.7 steals, 53% from the field, 52% from 3. As you mentioned, 35% from three on the season. He does have a career-high 1.6 steals. That also leads the Lakers in steals overall. And that doesn't even account for all the deflections he has, right? Which I'm sure they're keeping track of. But Yeah, I think, and sorry, just on that deflection point, I think somebody put a stat up in the last game that it was in the games that he started, he's top three in the entire NBA in deflections. I mean, that does not surprise me whatsoever. Um And Cam Reddish, I I think I told you the last podcast episode that I was a little surprised that people were so hung up about Cam Reddish being a zero on offense when I always felt like that's the last thing we need from Cam Reddish right now. That will eventually come around because Cam Reddish has always been known as a bucket. In fact, his problem has been in the past that he tried to do too much on the ball. But now we're starting to see as he's getting comfortable. I mean, you've seen him handle some pick and roll plays and look very fluid on the ball, right? Surprisingly, yeah. Yeah, when he was trying to do that at the start of preseason, it looked terrible. I think there was a stretch in the first preseason game where Darvin Ham was like, all right, Cam Reddish, bring the ball up and play point. And he just looked entirely lost. But because we reverse engineered his role a little bit and just told him to be a defender first and then anything else is gravy, all of a sudden you're starting to see the on-ball cam upside from his lottery draft days, from when... He was a hawk, and he was able to get a little frisky with his dribble. That's starting to come into play. His fluidity and transition, his nice up-and-under crafty, nifty layups. But most of all, on the defensive end, a lot of the things that we would have said about Vanderbilt, you can say about Cam Reddish in terms of, you were right when you said he's as tall as LeBron James. I didn't really believe you, maybe because he looks so scrawny out there. But you've seen those clips of them like hugging each other, and you're like, wait, so Cam Reddish really is a legit, like, 6'8", 6'9". That's kind of insane, you know? And because of that, and because of his mobility in his legs, his ability to, again, slither through screens, squirm his way through there, and still contest shots with his amazing length, you can play Cam up, have him guard threes, like Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant. You can play him down and have him guard Bradley Beal. You know, like, it's, it's been such a revelation thus far. And again, what makes it more sweeter for me is just how much bitching and moaning there was over this guy and people just having to bite their tongue at this point. And how many people, Tommy, before they even saw anything, were saying, Max Christie deserves this. Why is Cam Reddish getting the shot? You're freaking seeing it right now, okay? Did it take a little bit of time to get there? A little bit, but we're only like, what, 12 games into the season and Cam Reddish is already showing us this? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, do you have any last thoughts on Cam? Well, and, and we talked about this in the, in the Christie episode too, when we talked about the, those those kinds of uh, arguments that people were raising. And 
you're seeing it, right? As you just said, but like, this was the point. Like we said at that time, it's not that Max Christie, I'm not talking about his upside or whether he's homegrown or, you know, whatever. I'm just talking about like for 2023, 24 season, is it more likely that like a 25 year old player who is like in his fourth year or fifth, you know, going into his, you know, in his fourth year in the league, like, fourth, fifth year in the league, like, is it more likely that he's going to contribute or is it more likely that a 20 year old who is effectively a redshirt fresh, uh, you know, redshirt rookie is going to contribute in the playoffs? The answer is probably neither of them. And we might not need either of them if we're fully healthy and we have Vando and Gabe Vince and all these guys like playing, um, and Torian Prince. And, you know, obviously in the playoffs, the rotation gets tightened, right? But between the two of those guys, you would think that like this more veteran guy would, would, you know, be able to make an impact in those late season um, playoff games. And so, you know, that's not to say he just close your eyes. You get the, you get the keys, like how some of these veteran coach uh, coaches handle it. But, you know, you at least give the guy a look. And so like, we're not in practices. We don't know what these guys were seeing in practices. Cam Reddish has always had the thing that's always been frustrating for me as a fan, right? Who doesn't see the behind the scenes stuff is like Cam Reddish always seemed to have a reputation among the players that was different than what you actually saw on the court. And that leads me to believe he was doing things that were like really impressive to people in these workouts. I mean, he in like offseason workouts and practices, obviously he was drafted as a top 10 pick for some reason just a few years ago. So like people see things in him and he just hasn't been able to consistently do it in games. It seems like the LeBron thing is, and maybe working with Phil Handy has brought out that consistency a little bit. And if he can keep it up, it's like, again, he's shooting 35%, making a three a game, 1.6 steals. I Max Christie could not be doing this for us right now necessarily. And if he did, it would be even, you know, an even longer ramp up to kind of get him the reps he needs. So, who knows who's going to be helping us in, in April, but like there's a chance it would, it's going to be Cam. So we need to like explore this now. And I think out of the reclamation projects that we've seen in recent years with like Malik Monk, Lonnie Walker, even Rui Hachimura to, Hachimura to some extent, you know, it's just hammering home the point once again of how important context and situation is for a player like this. Cam Reddish on the ball, yeah, he can do some and one mixtape stuff and like on any given night give you 30 points, but is he actually helping your team win consistently over the course of an 82-game regular season? The answer has clearly been no, but what happens if Cam Reddish is like your fourth or fifth guy and his primary focus is defense? And because LeBron James, Anthony Davis, D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves are taking so much attention... Swing, 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 Cam Reddish. All Cam Reddish has to do now, Tommy, is instead of try to break three people off the dribble and get to the rim, he just has to attack one closeout and get to the rim. Right. The fact that his role is so simple now and so defined, that's what's really helping him out. And the fact that his foundation is defense and he just has this one thing that he can focus on in order to get playing time. I mean, it's done wonders for him. And it's done wonders that LeBron James has trusted him. The coaching staff has trusted him. And let's not forget, outside of the bitching and moaning about Max Christie, there was a lot of bitching and moaning about benching Austin Reeves for Cam Reddish. So I think this segues us perfectly into one of the adjustments that the Lakers have made in these in this last week that has really helped them out. And look, yes, we'll throw we'll throw out all the caveats in terms of the Lakers have played below 500 teams. Uh, their record against above 500 teams isn't great. I think they're one in five. 
But look, when a team is trying to find their identity through this early course of the season and they've had as many injuries as the Lakers have had to key players, you'll take anything you can get and any improvements and progress that you can see. And so far, one of those... One of those adjustments that have helped in this last stretch has been benching Austin Reeves for Cam Reddish. So what have your thoughts been on that tinkering? And when the move happened, were you a little bit like, I'm sure you weren't as insane as some of the fans who were like, Darvin Ham is off his freaking knocker. What the hell is he thinking? Cam Reddish again, my God. I'm sure you weren't at that extent, but were you a little bit like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, but yeah, your thoughts on that shift. Um. So the shift has been... Great, in my opinion. I'm not able to find it, but I'm pretty sure the night before they announced this, uh, that Austin was going to be benched and and they were going to bring Cam or make, use Cam as a starter and use Austin to like run the second unit. I'm fairly certain the night before you and I were texting about this stuff, and I and we both were like, let's just play big, let's bring Austin off the bench, mm-hmm. and so we, we we were kind of already thinking about these things. Um, I will say, like with respect to early season just before I get into the a little more on the decision, like the Pacific division, you know, has five teams all projected to be playoff teams, Sacramento, the Lakers, Golden State, Phoenix, and the Clippers. It's a tough division. Okay. The Lakers are second place, one game behind the Kings <laughs> in that division, you know? So every team is going through it right now. The, the Clippers have lost six straight. Golden State has lost five straight. The Kings have won four straight, but frankly, I don't know that anyone is really like that scared of them, right? So when it, when it comes to time for for playoff basketball, so I, uh, you know, it, it, there's there's things to figure out still, but obviously the change has helped. Um, we got that little run going where you know we 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 got some wins against Phoenix, Portland, Memphis. Um, you know, Phoenix, yeah, they're sub five hundred, but. Bradley Beal and KD both played and they both played pretty well um, in that game. Uh, Portland obviously is dealing with injuries and Memphis is, is they're dealing with a lot, (laughs) but you know, but we dominated them, right? I mean, Memphis was two games, two days removed from beating the Clippers on the same Mm -hmm. floor. Right. So, and we beat them by 30. So it, you know, it's, I think the I still think that the decision is good. I think they I hope they continue rolling with it. I think the big thing that's going to be interesting for me actually, because I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with a lot of the points of why it's it's kind of worked out. Um, but I think the interesting thing for me is going to be what do they do when Vando comes back? Because mm-hmm. I personally think you're seeing right now a proxy for like how this could all look even with Vando in the starting lineup. And if you're thinking about like, you know, you have LeBron, you have AD and you have D'Lo, like those three guys are going to be able to give you a good amount of offense. The other two guys I would want next to them. I would personally put Torian Prince and Vando. And I think like Cam Reddish is giving you a good proxy of like what Torian Prince and another defensive wing could look like next to these other starters. Um, and a Vando can like, you know, kind of hit a corner three. And then you have Cam Reddish who comes off the bench and could give you some a little bit of defense in your bench lineup, which we're we're kind of sorely lacking at this point. So I I I'm pretty interested in seeing how that goes. But you know, with the size, with the defense, to me it's like a no-brainer. And I think they should stick with it. Yeah, I think I could see it both ways because I think Torian Prince will look even better when Vanderbilt returns and his rebounding concerns or lack thereof will be mitigated obviously by Vanderbilt so I could see Vanderbilt 
Prince, D'Lo, AD, and LeBron. I could see that working out. I'm also kind of intrigued at seeing how D'Lo, Cam Reddish, Vanderbilt, LeBron, and AD look in terms of just just infuse the whole team with athleticism with both Cam Reddish and Vanderbilt and see how that works out because, yeah, I don't know. It's intriguing to me. But, yeah, I'm with you. I think the switch, the lineup switch, has worked wonders for a lot of people. We have started out these first quarters a lot better. Uh, Austin Reeves has been able to find his groove off the bench uh, and been able to actually man his units a little bit more as the primary ball handler. And, yeah, he's been getting turnovers uh, a lot still, but at least his jump shot has come around. I feel like he's been more comfortable with that second unit. And, in fact, he comes in, the times that he has been coming in, it's still been D'Angelo Russell, AD, and LeBron flanking him. So it's not that much of a drastic change, but I think this little tinker has, yeah, opened up, for one thing, I think D'Angelo Russell's offensive game a little bit in the starting unit, um, allowed him to, with Cam Reddish there, flanking him, allowed him to... I mean, D'Angelo Russell sucks at boxing out. I'm just going to say it, okay? (laughs) But thank God we have an extra rebounder there in Cam Reddish to clean up for him because Torian Prince doesn't do a good job cleaning up as well on the boards, even though he sticks with his man. So even just having that one extra rebounder who's not Austin Reeves, who can grab the ball, has helped out D'Angelo Russell tremendously. You've seen his shooting numbers the last couple of games. I mean, he shot 10 of 14 from three in back-to-back games, you know? I think a lot of that just has to do with D'Angelo Russell having more juice to focus or to channel into the offensive end versus like, okay, I got to guard everybody and stay engaged. And also I have to box out, which I can't do to save my life, even if I wanted to. So that's helped out D'Angelo Russell. And then again, on the other end with Austin Reeves, it's just opened up his offensive game and allowed him to play on a bench unit where he's also flanked with other defenders, but also he can play on ball more comfortably. I think, um, do you, do you have anything else to add on how it's opened up Austin Reeves game? I mean, having Austin Reeves come off the bench, I think I think the problem with Austin is and and this is a function of being like a relatively junior player compared to like the rest of the starters, like, you know, I just said this, but like D'Angelo, LeBron, AD, those guys are going to get the bulk of the shots in that lineup and rightfully so, by the way. Those are like their three best offensive players. In those situations, Austin tends to kind of slink into the shadows. And I think the problem with that is when he's not scoring himself and you know efficiently, when he doesn't have the ball in his hands and is not putting putting pressure on the rim, it leads to a lot of dead minutes. So it's nice because he's still playing his thirty plus minutes a night, but it's sort of like those minutes are feel a lot more productive when he's out there. You kind of notice Austin more. I feel like early in the season when he was starting, it was almost like he was a ghost. Like you, the game would be over and you're like, did Austin play? You know, so it's. It's uh, I feel like that's unlocked him a little bit more. And then, yeah, yeah, for sure. And then also just the staggering of both guards defensively. Having them only play together during certain stretches has been, uh, yeah, a godsend for the Lakers. All right, with that said, let's take it to break. When we return, let's just talk about these first 12 games and what our expectations have been, whether they've lived up to them or not, um, and any other adjustments we feel like the Lakers have been making to get to this point of somewhat feeling like they're rounding into form a little bit. So we will catch you guys after the break. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey folks, quick reminder, if you've enjoyed what you've been listening to up until this point, please do us a favor and give us a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. Also, check out the Spotify app, look up our page, and hit that five-star dial at the top of our page. Make sure it's five stars. We are at 99 stars, I believe, at the time that I'm recording this. We'd love to get over 100. And yeah, it would mean a lot to us at this point. Your guys' reviews and your guys' support are the only things upholding this show as each of us get busier and busier with our daily lives and we start contemplating what the end looks like and whether or not we can continue to maintain the overall consistency of this show. So giving us a five-star rating and review and continuing to and continuing to let us know that you're listening definitely goes a long way. So we appreciate all the support that we've gotten. But yeah, if you could do us a favor and rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app and the Spotify app, that would be tremendous. With that said, please enjoy the rest of the show. All right, so we are back. The Lakers are 6-6 six and six through the first 12 games. This is, again, right before the Portland Trailblazers game tonight. You all know last year the Lakers, through their first 12 games, were 2-10. and 10. So obviously they're ahead of schedule, but I think given the continuity that we brought back from the offseason, maybe people had higher expectations. I know I certainly did. I think I predicted... 8 and 4 on the high end 9 and 3 you were a little bit more conservative rightfully so you said 7 5 accounting for more of an acclimation period but given the fact that we're 6 and 6 and contextualizing the Lakers season thus far with key players like Jared Vanderbilt and Gabe Vincent being out and the steep learning curve that Austin Reeves has had to undergo are you happy with this 6 and 6 start i know you started to get into it a little bit with regards to how tough the Western Conference is this season uh, during the first part of our show. But yeah, if you can expound upon more on, yeah, what, how, how do you, how is six and six sitting with you at this point? I think six and six is sitting with me just fine. I think like the thing with our season so far and, and you hate to get into this kind of mode um, because eventually guys just have to start playing and winning games um, consistently. We need to start, you know, stringing together some good, some good stretches here, but if you look at uh, the games, you can kind of point in each one to what where things went wrong. I mean, playing at Denver game night one of the season, nobody, you know, we had no offense to speak of. And you're playing the defending champs on their home floor on ring night where the defending champs win 80% of the time historically, right? So it's like, that was a tough one. Third game of the season close close loss on the road against Sacramento who was obviously blazing hot uh, scored 132 on us then we had this four game road stretch where we lost three out of four we lost three in a row to Orlando Miami and Houston the Miami one so close you know the other two not as close but again all three of those playing on the road playing with multiple guys out of the lineup we were down to like seven eight guys um playing including max christie who's like not really a rotation player generally right and then the sacramento game second night of a back-to-back again against one of the fastest teams in the league um this that was our i want to say that was our second back-to-back of the season um so you know guys are still getting their their legs under them and um 
I mean, again, I not don't you don't want to make excuses. From the second that game started, it just felt like everyone on our team was running in quicksand. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like you kept seeing AD do these weird like gather steps, like trying to get it, like when he was trying to like change directions on the floor, like he was trying to like get his his engine going. Like is for some reason none of them were able to just like. I, they all needed like a caffeine shot or something at halftime, which they clearly did not take. But, you know, so it's like, again, you don't want to make the excuses, but where all the other teams are, I, I don't think we're that far behind. I think like, you know, you look across the league, Boston is off to a great start. Denver is off to a great start. And of the teams that were like expected to be competitive, those are the two best right now. I feel like everybody else, all the other quote unquote contenders are all operating kind of in the same range as we are. You know, we're six and six. The Warriors are six and seven. The Suns are five and six. The Clippers are three and seven. These are all expected to be playoff teams. You know, the Kings are six and four. Um, you, you know, going to the other conference, you see similar, the Bucks are seven and four, but they've had like their struggles. Um, you know, so it's like a problem across uh, across the league, and the Lakers are maybe taking a little bit longer because of the injuries. But I I feel like we're we're sort of turning a corner a little bit, and and once we start to uh, sort out some of our first quarter issues, I think things will get a little bit easier too. Yeah, for me, I'm actually encouraged by six and six. I'm not just okay with it. I'm encouraged by it because of everything that we stated contextualizing the season. These are not excuses. These are realities. And the fact that, I mean, 80 was banged up in that Sacramento Kings game too, on top of it, on top of looking like he was slow as molasses. He kind of looked like DeAndre Ayton out there, to be honest. Uh, But even though he had four blocks still. But if you had given this same context to the same Lakers team last year, they probably would have... I mean, they started off 2-10 and 10 last year. So I, I just don't think that... I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, I feel like this team has done the best with what they've been given. Obviously, you wish that they would have taken preseason more seriously when everybody was healthy. We've already stated that. Even in the first 12 games, as much as I harp on Darvin Ham, and he still does a lot of stuff that annoy me, including not knowing when to call timeouts, including siphoning off minutes away from Rui Hachimura for some reason, as much as I am annoyed by Darvin Ham about those certain things, I am still actually appreciative of the fact that in just the first 12 games, he has done things like start Cam Reddish, you know? I, like Even that move which seems pretty big through, what? when did he do that? Like game eight or something like that? Uh, like six games into the season. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. that's that's a really good quick adjustment where in prior years, you know, Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell's not working. Maybe they wait till the first 10 to 15 games to make that switch. He made that switch immediately and it has already started to reshape our identity. And from from this point forward, we're getting a better of a better idea of who we can become. And then just look at what has happened since Rui Hachimura has returned. You know, like these are not excuses like these injuries to Rui being out, uh, Vanderbilt being out, Gabe Vincent. If we already look like a more complete team with just Rui Hachimura coming back, how like you, I, I can only imagine how Jared Vanderbilt and Gabe Vincent can will reshape our identity as more of a defensive team on top of that. You know, um, I mean, 
Rui Hachimura is leading the Lakers in three-point percentage, by the way. He's he's shooting 50% yeah. from three, knocking down 1.4 a game. As we anticipated, not that points per game equals best players, but Rui Hachimura is, I think, fifth on the team or fourth in the team in points per game, averaging 13 points. He is... from the field, 50% from three. And one thing I'll credit Rui Hachimura for is being a lot more active on the defensive end and getting steals. Um, He's using his hands well. He's reading passing lanes well and jumping the passing lane, taking it all the way to the rim. He's averaging 1.1 steals thus far. And, And so given all of that and knowing that the cavalry is still coming, I don't know. I'm actually encouraged by the six and six start. I obviously I wish we could have more blowouts like the Memphis Grizzlies game. You wish that the Lakers shooting wasn't so Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. But given how in and out, how lopsided this season has begun for the Lakers, six and six, I feel like is pretty encouraging. And I think now that we have a better idea of our baseline and the types of players that work well together. Again, unfortunately, the first six games were like preseason for us, okay? Let's just call it what it is. And now that we've got that out of the way, I'm hoping that this next stretch, and I think we have a couple easy games coming up, I hope we can really start to take advantage now that we have a better idea of who we are. Um, Any other thoughts on that point, on just the start? Uh, No, I don't have anything else. So what... Outside of the big shift, what other adjustments have you seen the Lakers make as they've begun to acclimate themselves a little bit better? I feel like the offense has slowly started to come around. We're starting to use our guards' versatility with regards to their pick-and-roll play. We're seeing a lot of inverted pick-and-rolls with D'Angelo Russell setting the screen for LeBron James and them, you know, hot-potatoing it back and forth. Uh, We're seeing that with Austin Reeves and Anthony Davis. Austin Reeves will set the screen for LeBron. Austin Reeves will set the screen for Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis has the ball at the top of the key. Um, I'm I'm liking more of the creativity with regards to actually utilizing you know, our guards offensive, diversified offensive skill set, because everybody can play pick and roll out of the guys that I mentioned. Less so Anthony Davis, but I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, They're playing a lot more double drag action, Um, even involving Torian Prince a lot in these dribble handoffs and pick and rolls with AD, much in the same way that Frank Vogel used to use KCP and Avery Bradley for those simple sets, you know, where AD would set the screen and then hand it off to Avery Bradley or KCP, and they'd either take it all the way to the cup or pass it back pass it back out to AD. And Torian Prince has a more diversified skill set than even those guys that I mentioned because he is always relentlessly driving and attacking the closeout and showing you that he has some pretty nifty and crafty finishes at the rim. So I'm liking that we're even utilizing Torian Prince's versatility and not just viewing him as a standstill baseline three-point shooter. But outside of that, any other adjustments that you've seen the Lakers start to implement more or just improve upon? I think the thing that I forgot from last season that seems to have carried over this year is this coaching staff, kind of the way they prefer to handle things, um, is phasing, like, kind of how they introduce concepts. I think when we played game one of the season, we were not running any sort of cohesive offense. I think if you look at that compared to the last few games, even the Sacramento game, like, uh, where, you know, we didn't look great overall, like, we're actually running sets now. You know, we run plays fairly frequently. We are trying to push, uh, push the ball and, and get easy buckets, but we're running a real offense. Um, 
So it's it's like big picture stuff like that, I think, like has been nice to kind of see progressing. I can't say like, you know, down to the small details what exactly has changed, right? But I'm kind of curious, I guess, and, and maybe get your thoughts on this. Do you think there's anything they could be doing like differently defensively, I guess? Because we know offensively they've been slowly phasing in concepts. I just really can't tell what they're doing defensively. It seems mm-hmm. like guys are lost. It seems like rotations are pretty slow. And I can't tell if if we're approaching it, something differently on that end or it's just, you know, or there's something else to it. Yeah, I'm not sure. I feel like we've been getting burned a lot at the three-point line. Especially exactly. on the That's baseline. Like the, the rotations have been so weird. Like it's always like we're two steps behind, like getting to where everybody with eyes can tell the ball's eventually going to go. But I'm not sure if that's just because the the most recent game that we watched was against the Sacramento Kings, because I feel like the Kings are such, I mean, maybe they're not an outlier case, but they are really the most hyperbolic version of a fast paced modern day NBA team that kind of resemble, you know, like prime warriors, not the one right now we're seeing, but they really just, I think teams know, I think the thing, it goes back to what we kind of already know, the low hanging fruit of teams know, especially three point shooting teams that they can get the offensive board on the Lakers. And so just chuck it up, especially if you're shooting a three point shot, that's going to be a long rebound, right? And if the Lakers guards aren't boxing out, we can get it again and shoot another three. I feel like that's what was happening in the Kings game. They had no conscience. You know, it's like, doesn't matter how early in the shot clock, let's chuck this up. We're probably going to get the offensive rebound. So, and I've seen the Lakers play, again, I'm not into the schematics and X's and O's and stuff like that, but I have seen us play zone a couple times. And usually that, usually when you play zone, you're giving up rebounds, right? And we're already a bad offensive rebounding team. I think that's to mitigate the fact that D'Angelo Russell can't keep up with like these shiftier guards. But yeah, I don't have a clear answer for you. I I think it would just be to continue to work out and trial out these bigger lineups with length and get better rebounders um, across the board. I mean, that's, that's the simple answer. I don't know if you've been able to formulate anything besides that, uh, but I, I think, and, and the simple answer is like waiting till like Gabe Vincent and, you know, yeah, that's, Jared that's Vanderbilt fair. come back. But so far, uh, aside from that, like D'Angelo Russell learned how to box out better. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, But yeah, and then offensively, I, I think for whatever reason, Christian Wood is kind of getting lost in the woods. <laughs> you know, Ayo. Um, yeah, that has f- been interesting, actually. And I feel like we need to utilize his offensive skill set. You know, like give him a couple post-ups. Uh, right now, it's just purely pick and pops. And, you know, his three-point shot, three-point percentage has gone down recently. But he can do a lot more versatile things, like run, pick, and roll with him. He's a very nifty, crafty finisher when he gets into the lane, you know? So I feel like we're underutilizing Christian Wood offensively. But I feel like our guards, at the very least, in recent games have really found their juice um, and been able to really kill it in the pick and roll. Again, you know, AD, LeBron, D'Lo, and Austin Reeves, those four and them switching roles and being able to, yeah, invert pick and rolls as the ball handler, I think it's really worked well um, thus far. But um, I guess to close this episode, your thoughts on Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Um Anthony Davis, I kind of just want to, you know, flush the last game down the toilet. That's not an excuse. Anthony Davis should have played better if he was 
hurting or ailing. He should have just not played. He still had four blocks, and he is still leading the league in blocks per game, 3.4. He leads the league in total blocks with 37. The next highest is Brooke Lopez at 29 through 11 games as well. I mean, Anthony Davis has been very dominant defensively, and you've seen when he was out in the Houston game just how much the Lakers rely on him right now to be the pillar of their defense. And then you saw in the Memphis game him just punking the hell out of Jaron Jackson Jr. over and over again, getting multiple blocks on the same possession. Um, I wish that he would still incorporate more of the three-point shooting and jump shooting, but Right now, his primary utilization has just been, again, to be the main defensive anchor for the Lakers. But I've been impressed with just how Anthony Davis has been able to trudge and fight through this season with like that hip strain or whatever he's dealing with, um, notwithstanding, obviously, the Kings game again. But overall, I feel like AD has been dominant defensively. He's on track to hopefully, potentially win defensive player of the year, even though we know he won't get it because of the media. Um, and then LeBron James really quickly, he's shooting 37% from three now hitting two a game, which is very impressive. LeBron James is shooting 57% from the field. This is his highest field goal percentage since 2013, 14 with the Miami heat. I think one of my predictions in our predictions episode was LeBron James. One of my surefire predictions was that LeBron James would average a career high or hit a career high field goal percentage with the Lakers this season. And he's well on his way at 57%. LeBron has looked really good this season, dominant at times. He's breaking all of these old man records left and right as the oldest player to do this and that. He had a triple-double the last game. But overall, he has just been kind of like the way that I described D'Angelo Russell being a foundational sort of piece for this Lakers team. LeBron James has obviously been that as well, the central figure uh, where that, that everything else revolves around. Um, and it's still been the case that the Lakers go as LeBron goes because offensively he has still knit things together. And I think what I've appreciated about LeBron James thus far is it's not the same LeBron James that we've seen before because he's still doing a lot off ball as evidenced by the 57% from the field. And not only off ball cutting, Tommy, but there's a lot of LeBron James just catch and shoot three-point shooting. You know, they'll they'll set like a down screen for him. He'll curl up, curl out of that and just shoot the three without taking any other dribbles, you know? So I've been impressed by the way that LeBron James has looked dominant. It's been partially the LeBron James you remember before with him with the ball, and then partially, oh, this is the new revamped version of LeBron where he's letting Austin Reeves, he's letting D'Angelo Russell do their thing and working off of that. So your thoughts on LeBron James and AD? I guess you can start with LeBron first. Yeah, I mean, just to build off that point, LeBron is, you mentioned career high field goal percentage, career low field goal attempts. So he is taking a backseat um, and, and letting guys sort of do things, other things. It does seem like he has a focus on taking more high of efficient shots. But, but, but you know, even despite that, he is just shooting the ball really well. 37% from three is, is, is very good. It, it, it gives us some hope because, you know, you, 37, whatever, 35, Last year was just particularly low, right? Like he he shot seven 
threes a game at 32%. It was like a big reason why our, our three-point numbers tanked. Um, only thing I'd like to see LeBron clean up a little bit, and this just applies across the board, is is the turnovers as well. His yeah. assists are down, but his turnovers are up. You know, So it's like 1.4 to 1 assisted turnover ratio. It's not what you would want in your point guard. I mean, it's a little bit different with LeBron because he gets he loses the ball like attacking the rim. Some it's not all playmaking, you know, kind of unforced turnovers or something. So there's a little more nuance there. But you would still like to see him drop that number, and and uh, I think that's what happened last year. I I don't remember the exact progression, but I vaguely recall that like he started the season pretty high on turnovers, and by the end he he landed at like three point two, so he he wasn't turning it over as much. Um, AD, you know, again like super 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 dominant on the defensive end. I really like that he's kept the rebounding up from last year. He's averaging about twelve yeah. a game. Um, his assists are up. Um, he's up at three and a half a game, which is which is really good. And obviously, the career high in blocks. He's currently the leader in the league in blocks. Isn't um, that, isn't that crazy? I talked to you about this on via text, but I was like, isn't it bizarre that as AD has aged, his block numbers have risen exponentially? I don't know what it is. It maybe just be that he is the the starting five now, and he's at the center point I, of everything. I think but... that's yeah. I think that's like a big part of it. They're playing him at the five. They're putting him in situations where he can free run a little bit more on on defense um and focus on rebounding and, and blocking shots and but but honestly it's like a lot like we could talk about schematically what they're doing a lot of it is just ad has with the exception of maybe two out of the 11 games we've played or he's played i should say so as of the time we're recording this like he has come in like locked in and fired up like every mm-hmm. every single night and, and that on defense like again with the exception of maybe a couple of games every game has looked like the playoffs last year i mean he's super yeah. super engaged like he's not getting tricked like you make it into the like paint like good luck you're not getting it over those arms i don't know like you said it's like it, it his his reaction timing is just like on a different level right now so um you know, you like to see that stuff. The scoring is down from his career numbers, but, you know, kind of in line with what he did in the playoffs last year. And obviously his field goal attempts are down, right? He's down to a career, almost a career low for him other than like his rookie year um, in field goal attempts. So, you know, there's so many guys on this team who can score. So it's, it's, uh, it makes sense that, that maybe the offensive output for, for LeBron and AD are a little bit lower. And I think the ask of AD at the start of this season, especially with Vando and Gabe Vincent out, has been exponentially more defensively. So that's where a lot of his energy has had to be channeled. And so I think once Vanderbilt comes back, I think once Gabe Vincent is back, we'll be able to see a more offensively dominant AD. And I think his points per game is a little dragged down by that one nine-point game he had where he had to leave halfway through, right, the Miami game. Um, But yeah, overall, AD has been great. And yeah, I mean, Anthony Davis so far has been exactly what the Lakers have needed. And his 3.4 blocks per game does not even tell the tale of just how many shots he alters and how much I started tracking this. I was just like, I just want to see how people react when they get into the lane and see Anthony Davis, just, just seeing him in their peripheral, what that does. And it's amazing how many guys will all of a sudden get butterfingers, will rush a shot at the rim and just miss because they know Anthony Davis is in the vicinity. Anthony Davis does not even have to jump, you know? They just see AD, they'll either pitch it out, get a turnover, they'll bobble the ball, they'll shoot it really quickly, and none of this is tracked 
from none of this is tracked in the 3.4 blocks, you know? So just to show you how dominant a defensive player Anthony Davis is, you just, again, hope that like it's not a wear and tear thing and that these injuries don't pile up. And because when Anthony Davis is even just like 80% right, he turns the Lakers from being like the worst defensive team in the league to being a top five defensive team, you know? Um, But yeah, that'll do it for this episode. We are pretty encouraged with the way that the Lakers have sort of righted this ship around when it looked like it was going to continue to crater after that debacle of a game against the Houston Rockets that Anthony Davis missed. Um, And so far, it seems like, you know, they are in the right mindset to continue to tinker and make quick adjustments. And again, the cavalry is hopefully coming soon with, unfortunately, not Gabe Vincent. He's going to be reevaluated in two weeks, which is crazy. But hopefully Jared Vanderbilt very soon. So yeah, that'll do it for our episode. Hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving next week and great Thanksgiving weekend with family. And yeah, Tommy, I will catch you later. Go Lakers, go, go in this in-season tournament. Hope everybody gets that 500K. I'm wondering which player said I've never had that before. If I had to guess, it's probably Maxwell Lewis or Max Christie. (laughs) Um, But Alex Fudge, baby. (laughs) Alex Fudge for sure was like, oh, 500K. I've never had that before, including this season, because after taxes, it's probably still going to be 250K (laughs) in my check. Um, But yeah, Tommy, I will catch you later. Peace. See ya. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.